Hey, it's Arrow. PodFest brings together three different conversations from musicians to authors, doctors, environmentalists, and even cooks in their own kitchen. It's real people with real stories. PodFest 46 features the unstoppable jazz and pop great Mr. George Benson. Then we're headed into the Master Chef Kitchen with Chef Graham Elliott. And conversation number three, we're stepping back. It's an all-time favorite with pro wrestler Greg the Hammer Valentine. This is PodFest 46. Over the span of his illustrious five-decade career, George Benson has sold millions of records, performed for hundreds of millions of fans, and cut some of the most beloved jazz and soul tunes in the history of music. But the guitarist, vocalist, as well as songwriter is much more than this masquerade. On Broadway, turn your love around and give me the night. Benson is a flat-out inspiration, a multi-talented artist who survived an impoverished childhood and molded himself into the first true and truly successful jazz soul crossover artist. And now on the heels of receiving the prestigious new Jazz Masters Award, George has finally decided to share his story. We are unplugged and totally uncut with George Benson. Good morning, George. How are you doing this morning? Great. How are you doing there? Doing very well. Because you create with somebody from my family, Janie Kluwer, I know how busy you are, sir. Wow. Yeah, she's quite a gal. Now I get to find out what she experiences every day with you. Tribute to Nat Cole, fabulous orchestra there, and a fabulous uh, concert hall. It was just uh, one of my best nights. That's why, darling, it's In putting this book together, how many cities did it require to be able to go from beginning, middle, to end? <laughs> Are you speaking on a yearly basis? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's so true, because it would have taken years to put this book together then, because it didn't just flop oh, out of you. Let me tell you, man, it took uh, 13 years to uh, put this book together, bits and pieces from this, that, and the other. And I had a wonderful co-writer. His name was Alan Gosher. Gosher. He's um. Uh, he spelled out the book beautifully. He didn't detract from my vernacular uh, to a degree where, you know, it was uh, cleanup time, you know. He let me be my, myself to the degree that we could and still communicate with uh, across the board, you know, uh, audience. So, so I give him a lot of credit for, for making the book very legible by everybody. Turn your love They tell us not to live in our past, but when you're George Benson, you, that means you've got to dig through a lot of those songs. Are you and did you pull out some songs that you're now performing live again? <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, we had to explain how things came about in the industry. Our working with people like Quincy Jones and the man who produced the record Breeze, which is my biggest uh, album, uh, Tommy LaPuma, who's from Cleveland, Ohio. You know, it took a lot of remembering 
and I had to go back to the guys in my band and say, "Do you can you tell me what happened on that date?" And they were right on it because to them it was like yesterday, you know. <laughs> was it difficult to? Because you know the main character of the book, you know him, you've lived him, but at the same time, he's still a main character. When you finished that book, did you feel like you were leaving an old friend behind? It was interesting going back and and looking at myself from a different perspective, you know, because uh, remember when I was living it, um, I didn't know what to expect. Now I'm, uh, I see the culmination of all of those incredible years on the road, you know, as a youngster, I came out of Pittsburgh, I was 19 years old, and thrown out there on the road with all of that craziness, you know, uh, playing one week here and then another week over there, and sometimes they would be, you know, uh, thousands of miles apart. So it was really quite an experience and and the details of what went on in uh, each night, especially in the early days, it was a lot of tension because I was not a guitar player yet. I was a singer who happened to play guitar. And my band leader, who was Jack McDuff, he wanted a guitar player and he loved the blues. And I played a little bit of blues, but I was not uh, necessarily a big blues fan at the time. So uh, I didn't fulfill his, uh, you know, his desire. You have this way of making that guitar scat. Was that all you, or was that the influence of Charlie Christian and Wes Montgomery? Because you can listen to a George Benson song, and you don't need lyrics. You've got your fingers scatting on that guitar. <laughs> I've heard people say that, but uh, you know, some I think it's just a combination of uh, people. Um, who are big fans who listen to you a lot and they begin to notice the idiosyncrasies, you know, that go along with your particular style of playing. It's like uh, listening to Carlos Santana. It's so evident, you know, because you know his personality through through his instrument. He expresses himself pretty much the same way each time. Uh, I just think it's a matter of time. But I'll tell you one thing. I am a culmination of all of the people that I've come in contact with, especially the ones who had big fluences, like the one you mentioned, Wes Montgomery. But it was also Grant Green, Charlie Curry, Christian, uh, Kenny Burrell, Tal um, uh, Farlow, Hank Garland, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I, when I hear me play, I hear a culmination of all those people. Is, is it improv like jazz has been known for, or are you really focused in on maintaining a, a end result? No, I think that, uh, no, I live each day one day at a time. Um, when I find something new, to me, it's gigantic because, you know, you get bored at the same thing every day. So I practice all the time. You know, I got to get turn my hand almost every day. I have been doing that for many years. And uh, I'm still in love with the instrument because one day you feel like a genius and the next day you feel like uh, an idiot, you know, because you can't make connections into the future. You have to search for things to do that bring about tomorrow, you know. So that's the interesting part. To understand the reasons that we carry on this way Lost in a man's parade. You love doing this, don't you? <laughs> 
I've always done it. And to tell you the truth, it's all like one big day or one big week for me. I've been on the road many years, but it seems like I just started, you know, just a few days ago or sometimes hours ago. Um, that's how fast life goes by. But it is, it has been an incredible experience because I've met so many people that I never imagined I would, you know, uh, come in contact with or would be a part of their lives too. And they became fans. But I will always be a fan of all those people I listen to who helped me to get to where I am. I never forget them.
Unplugged and Totally Uncut with Graham Elliott, co-host of MasterChef and MasterChef Junior and author of Cooking Like a Master Chef. This is the perfect gift for the holiday. Wouldn't you say that this is the very first time in history that more people want to be chefs than astronauts or rock stars? Isn't that crazy? I I think it's incredible because, you know, I grew up in my mother's kitchen trying to create all these really neat things, but people thought I was weird for doing that. Now kids have got it all. It's true. You know, I I was kind of like you. I loved, like, the weird the better, you know. Um, The fact that if you look at French food, you know, you can eat snails and frog legs and stuff like that. It was just so cool to me. And I think all my friends thought I was insane. And now, yeah, everybody wants to be this kind of cool chef so it's funny to see how it you know it comes full circle I guess I mean we, we've got Johnson and Wales here in Charlotte and I think you would be so proud to see how many real people are going in there every time and and just to tap into that imagination because it's almost like they found someone who believes in them oh yeah I mean I had actually uh, dropped out of school and was a dishwasher and prepping you know in the kitchen and from there realized how much I love cooking, but also how much a kitchen provides an opportunity for you to go and find your own voice and style. And I went to Johnson & Wales in Norfolk, and our campus eventually closed because they moved everyone down to Charlotte. So that became the new huge mega campus, uh, which is gorgeous. But the kitchen gives you, you all the tools and freedom to really become whatever it is you want to be. You know, so you see people succeed and, and work hard and make it happen. See, and that's what I love about your TV shows is that you really, you, you, you are not afraid to tell them that it is a business, but more importantly, that you've got an avenue where you can create so that the business can get stronger. But more importantly, it's about business. Yeah, exactly. So, would you say that your book is the Star Wars of the culinary arts? If, if my book is? Yeah, because, I mean, look at what's happening. It's coming out at the perfect time because everybody is going to want to get their hands on this book because we all have a secret chef in our family and we share this book with them. All of a sudden, you're, you are Darth Vader. You are Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I, I can be Obi Wan, culinary, <laughs> culinary Obi Wan Jedi. Um, yeah, you, you know, I uh, my my life and schedule has been based around you know the Force, the Force Awakens. So I'm I'm cannot uh, tell you how excited I am to, to have those two worlds combined as you're talking about a cookbook in Star Wars. So um, yeah, it's it's amazing to. Uh, to be able to cook food and get people excited about it, but you know nothing compares to, to a new Star Wars movie. So now let's let's talk about some of the recipes inside your book. When most people think of the classic dinners such as the peppercorn crusted ahi tuna, I mean right away they say, "Can we just go dine out?" But yet you make it so simple to at least try to do it. Yeah, totally, right? I mean, you just kind of sear something up, you, you roll it in peppercorn, you get some spice, you slice it thin. So many different things, people uh, hear the wording or they, uh, they've seen it on menus maybe and, and it's expensive and they get worried. I think that the more you go at it and realize, you know, cooking is very much a uh, gray area, not black and white. It can be whatever you want it to be. You can do a bunch of different styles with something. Then you get liberated and, and it becomes more fun and you also have more confidence as you do it. 
Don't, don't you think that supermarkets have had to get smarter with their customers because of shows like yours? Because we walk in there expecting and they have to be able to serve their customers. Yeah, totally. I think that, uh, uh, you know, now that people are knowledgeable about ingredients and also seasonality and everything in between, that providers, be it a market, a farmer's market, supermarket, whatever, have to uh, uh, to come to the table, with no pun intended, you know, but with great stuff because you know better now. You know that it's not okay to just have a white onion and a giant Idaho potato and a chicken breast. Like, there's so many more exciting things out there to work with. What's so fascinating is that a lot of offices and neighborhoods are now having chili cook-offs and different dinner cook-offs, and they're doing this in the middle part of the day. It's television shows like yours and you personally that are inspiring kind of a zen feel inside the office. getting people to think that uh, food is something that brings people together, but it can also be, you know, competitive in a friendly way. So I think that's why so many people want to be chefs now is, you know, there's a ton of different outlets for you um, and how you are to apply to, to cooking. Now, when you hit the road on December 4th, I mean, you're, you're ready to hit the the, uh, the East Coast here. You're going to go from Indiana and then find yourself into Pennsylvania, and you're even going to be in Ohio for a while. Do you, are you like us in radio where we're kind of afraid of listener food? I mean, are they're not going to bring food for you to sample. And if they do, how do you prepare for that? Uh, it was a, like a, a ton of Pepto Bismol. Because <laughs> <laughs> people will bring, I, I did a signing uh, in Minneapolis last week at Mall of America, and somebody pulled out, you know, and instead of like pulling out the gun, like in slow motion, like in a scary movie, they pull out the jar of homemade barbecue sauce <laughs> and like slowly take like the lid off, and you're standing in front of 100 people, and you kind of like got to put your finger in this jar of sauce and, and tell them what you think about it. Speaking of that barbecue sauce, you, you being up there in Norfolk and stuff like that, I mean, what is it about the South? Not necessarily the Carolinas, but the South, where the where the barbecue sauce really is authentic. I think that uh, that's what's so great about that whole region is that everything is authentic. The food, the music, the, the family, you know, family reunions, all of those things um, make the South and the Carolinas really special, you know. Um, I had friends whose families lived down in uh, you know, Spartanburg and uh, going down there and, and just cheer wine served over crushed ice in a, in a styrofoam cup <clears throat> with ham biscuits. You know, that, that's like the thing dreams are made of. Well, you, you talk about Spartanburg and stuff like that, then you know how this part of the world really has become very friendly with the farmers again, and there's become this serious relationship. And there you are, right there in your book, you're talking about having farm farm food and farm veggies. Yeah, I think it's important to know where your food comes from. You know, a lot of people, I think, uh, it comes in a, in a bag or a box from the freezer, you know, and... Uh, if that's all you can you can afford, then uh, you know I understand that. But for people that uh, you know are all about using great great products, and uh, you know the, the better proximity that you have to people that are growing it, that put as much love into their uh, harvesting as you are cooking, you know the dish is just going to be that much better for it. Do you, do you fear at any time, though, with the way that people are coming out of the, the closets and stuff like that when it comes to them wanting to be a chef and be creative, that that family secret is no longer going to be a secret anymore? Or or is it time to let go of those family traditions? 
Yeah, I think that now with, with just the way the world is so close now and everyone shares everything via social media and being online and stuff all the time, um, it's good to be able to to share those things. I mean, what's important to me is, is making sure that you still give credit where it's due, you know, and I mean, whether it's eating at another restaurant or your grandma or something you saw somewhere else. Being able to acknowledge, like, this is where I saw it, this is what it is, I'm so excited to be working with it, versus people just co-opting, you know, and, and making it, uh, trying to make, make it seem like it's theirs, you know, without any high-fiving other people around you, that's not cool. Well, especially this time of year, I mean, you got Thanksgiving. I always call this the, the triple play of holidays because everybody wants to bring the sweet treats. They need to get your book to see how you've created sweet treats that really don't mean I'm going to pour on a bunch of weight. I mean, you've got some excellent, excellent ideas here. Thanks. Yeah, I love I love being able to have fun with uh, with some of those things as well, you know. So, uh, bananas foster Timberlay and uh, playing on a banana split, you know, uh, things like that are, are fun, whimsical, and hopefully put a smile on your face as you make it, but also obviously on the people you're cooking for. Well, truffled popcorn too, because you know it, it kind of replaces the popcorn ball that Grandma used to make. Exactly, you know, but uh, with truffle and chive and parmesan and, you know, sea salt and black pepper, all those delicious flavors that, that jump off the palate and I think also let people know that you're going to be in for a, a good time. Now, as, as the author of the book, do, does it matter to you that we e-book this? And the reason why is because with all the recipes, I'm that guy that goes to the grocery store or the farmer's market. I have to have your book with me at all times. Did, or is it like, I just need to get this book in, in anybody's hands, any way that they're going to put it there? You know, I mean, I guess it's really just giving options to people, but I... Uh, I have a ton of e-books, right, that I read, but I've never bought a cookbook as an e-book. Because wow. I just I like to, to have, it's kind of like a CD, I guess, versus downloading it, but I, I want the whole physical project in front of me. Well, and plus the pictures in this book, dude, I mean, I mean, th- for you to sit there and to put the right picture in there, there, you make it so appetizing before I even get to the first paragraph of how to make it. Yeah, I think that, you know, we try to make it look like food you would crave and want, not just something insanely gorgeous, but wouldn't know how to eat, like at a restaurant. Now, you've, cra- you've traveled all over the country. I-, I grew up in the state of Montana. What what did you learn from Montana? The- because up there, it was always about the steak, the steak, the steak. But you being a chef, was there something else up there that I was missing out on? Um... You know, I think, you know, out there, it's just your, your proximity to great ingredients, you know, being outdoors, uh, fishing, you know, the, the different uh, fly fishing and things like that out there. You really want to focus on letting those things taste like themselves, you know, and maybe in the South, you've got, uh, you know, your heartier dishes. In the Midwest, it's a lot of steak and potatoes. So uh, at the end of the day, it's really realizing what your state represent, you know, and I think with Montana, it was like nowhere as beautiful as that. You, you, you know, you, you talk of the fish and stuff up there. I, I'm kind of shocked that Montana hasn't come up with its own ceviche of any type, you know, with all the different rainbow trout and the salmon that starts up there by Flathead Lake and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you can definitely do some, some great stuff with all that, you know. So how are you liking the idea of hosting this new TV show, America's Craziest Restaurant? That has to be a weird trip. Yeah, super crazy, right? I mean, uh, 
seeing things from you know a restaurant that only serves uh, food that's you know got a million different chili peppers in it you know it's super spicy to a haunted house to a pirate themed restaurant there's people doing things out there not just with food but you know with uh, the setting and story behind it that that are just off the charts it's almost like it's almost like it's a setup of you know look we're going to work together but if it doesn't work then we're going to bring in Gordon Ramsay who's going to come in here and just revamp your entire restaurant for you. Yeah, I mean luckily I get to go in and just kind of celebrate what the place is about, uh, you know, versus having to kind of like rate it or, or judge it. So it makes it easier for me. So what being being that the Carolina Panthers are ten and zero, you know that everybody, even if they're not a football fan, we're throwing some serious parties now. What what are these beer bubbles? What what is that all about? And is that man cave food? Um, I think man cave wise, the, the dishes as a whole, the buffalo chicken, right? You've got your blue cheese, celery, celery root, all those things. The the, the beer bubbles we take um, and kind of froth them up with like a little hand blender so that you can spoon them over the dish. You get some of the beer flavor, but it's not like something super, super heavy. That's the idea with it. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, in the South, we want it really heavy so we can just get weighted down. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think that we're picking out these days or have we developed a better palate for great food and we just haven't controlled ourselves yet on what is a, an acceptable amount? Because I, I see a lot of pigging out going on, but it's like, why? You know, I think that, uh, you know, people people just like bigger portions and, and want to feel, you know, really satisfied after they're done eating. So uh, for me, it's... Less so on I'm just eating a lot of the same thing because I think that you get bored with it after a while. If you have like a, let you say a 40 ounce steak, after about six bites, you know what it's going to taste like. So it's you know it's very predictable. I'd rather try uh, a lot of bites of different things uh, rather than just one big giant portion. See, I don't, I don't think I could stay away from the summer peach cake because that in itself, I mean, being this close to South Carolina, which is the peach state anyway, I mean, it, the, the, that, talk about putting that fruit to use. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's a dish where I think that, you know, a great, a great ingredient like peaches where you can, you can eat them and then wash your face with them afterwards. That's the joy of, uh, of that. How were you able to keep your personalities in order going from the TV show to writing a cookbook, also to being a great teacher that's going to be out on tour? I mean, you've got so much going on. Where do you find time to cook nowadays? I, mean, I try to cook, uh, uh, you know, breakfast with the family. I try to, uh, you know, do as, as much as I can, I guess, around the house and getting people excited. But also at the restaurant, you know, I try to be there every Friday, Saturday to, uh, to cook because it really is what keeps you grounded and keeps you know me just really happy I love being able to to kind of I guess give with the only thing that I know how to do which is you know putting putting food in the pan and making it yummy is it pretty cool to be with the family and you're the guy right there Oh, yeah, it's the best. It's, you know, because my, my uh, granddaughter watches her father like a hawk, and he watches you like a hawk. And, and it's just, it's such a cool circle. Do you get to see that side of the industry where the, the people that you've influenced, you're seeing it go right into the eyes of the children, the next generation? Oh, yeah. I mean, with MasterChef Junior, you know, we're, we're seeing that happen where some of the kids that are, you know, 
eight years old, started at five because they were watching the first few episodes of, of MasterChef and MasterChef Junior. So uh, it does make you also realize how quickly time flies, you know. What, what is it? So temporary. What is it like to be with those little kids? Because you know, you know they've got it right. Because they practice and they practice, and and they themselves think it's it's like a martial artist. They're ready for black belt right at white 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 belt. You're you're totally right. You know, you're seeing these kids instead of gymnastics or piano or karate or something else. There, they're focusing all their time and energy on just being great chefs, and they can make food at age ten that I was making at age twenty. And doing it with a big smile, so it, it gives you a lot of joy thinking that maybe we had a hand in this. Don't you and think? The, 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 the different tastes around the country are going to be less regional or do you think that because of shows like yours it's it's not going to be we don't have to go down to Atlanta just to have this because this small town restaurant is going to provide just as good of food it, it your show has been such an inspiration to open a lot of doors yeah but I do I do also kind of worry that you are going to lose a lot of regionality but it's not just um, in cooking you see it with music and uh you know, fashion, style, things like that, you know, kind of the same way that, that MTV did with uh, with how people were dressing, you know, maybe in the South or the Midwest, people would look in one way. But after a while, everybody looks the same, like you do in New York or LA, you all the same outfits on, things like that, listen to the same music. And I'm afraid that you're going to have people cooking Carolina style barbecue, you know, in Jersey, the way that somebody's going to make a New York cheesecake, you know, in Wyoming, like, it's, it's all going to be something homogenous, and you'll order up that. Well, you're right about that because you get some of that Lexington vinegar-based barbecue, and I'm in the state of Colorado. You're just going to kind of look at them going, no. Now, now this this time of year, you know, there's a lot of hunters across the country, and there's a lot of hunters looking for new ways to prepare all that meat. Do you have a chapter or do you have a suggestion for them? Because deer meat is deer meat, elk meat is elk meat, but I'll bet you in your imagination there's got to be something else. You know, I, I don't have it in the, in the cookbook, but, you know, I uh, actually have a friend that went out hunting this week and got a buck, and they're going to be bringing it by, uh, you know, the house so that we can cook it up. So I love fishing, and I love the idea, you know, of, of hunting out and getting an animal and bringing it back and, you know, using every part that it gives you. So, uh, you know, grazing off the, the tougher cut to meat, doing something beautiful with, you know, the back straps and the loins. Um, you know, and really cooking again with the seasons that so you right now in the fall, wild rice and grains and roots and squashes and, uh, you know, herbs and things like juniper and spices that go really well with those um, those different types of game animals. Uh, it's, you know, it's delicious. It's almost like you're teaching us to respect the seasons. It doesn't mean that because winter's here that the trees are not dead. Everything is alive. Now utilize what, what, what the forest brings. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's the same thing, you know, summer food's not any better than winter or fall. They're all, uh, you know, give you their, their bounty, you know, however you, you know, want to use it. So if you're given, it's January, you've got rutabaga and turnips and, you know, all these delicious different things that are coming out of the earth that you can uh, smoke, pickle, cure, grill, char, you know, like all the different techniques and styles that you want to uh 
to do with those ingredients, and then up to you how you want to pair them together. So it's a limitless opportunity to, to create and come up with things. Well, please don't let this be your final book because uh, you could easily become our new family tradition. With this book here, we just keep growing with you as you explore. Oh, thank you. Talking about professional wrestling is that one thing that if your worst enemy was standing in front of you, they would drop their weapons and say, all right, let me share with you what I personally experienced with professional wrestling and watching it with the people that were around me. Hey, it's Arrow inside the LAProductions.us studio. First, the trailer to 350 Days. And then when we come back, we'll be unplugged and totally uncut with Greg the Hammer Valentine. 350 days a year as a wrestler on the road. Maybe it's a sickness. 350 days a year. A lot of physical pain. A lot of loneliness. You have no home life whatsoever. Piper and me riding down the road. Doing eight balls of cocaine. I'm sure it broke up marriages. How many guys uh, in the wrestling business have a family left when they're done? Most of them lose it. I couldn't have children. I couldn't put them on a turnbuckle while mommy worked. I look forward to it, bro. You know why? Because I love it so much. It's in my heart. When you're famous, you don't have to go look for trouble. Trouble comes knocking on your door. I hit the bars. And... That was my character. Sitting in a room with a bunch of wrestlers doing cocaine, we really got to know each other. I would take a lot of downers, and I, I did have problems with the, with the downers. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I was not a faithful husband from the first day, for the whole time, on the road. I lived a double life. I needed this. It was like, I'm not getting the love I needed home. What I do, what I do, oh my God, I am afraid to say I would do it again. I wouldn't change a thing. No regrets. I loved everything I did. I actually wish I could do it all over again. What I want to tell you, you know, to make some big money in wrestling, you had to wrestle every night of the week, $30 every day. So you had to wrestle six and seven times every week just to earn your money. 350 days on the road with wrestlers, a living hell. Good morning, Greg. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Fantastic. And boy, I'll tell you what, there are many, many people that are fired up about what's going to be happening tomorrow night, thanks to you guys and Fathom Events. 350 days, legends, champions, and survivors. Are you just as excited as the fans are? Well, yeah, this is probably the first movie I've ever been in, except a little bit parts here and there, but this is... I'm really excited because this I live this life that they're going to watch. And this is behind the scenes. So I'm very excited about it. What, what's really cool about it is that professional wrestling is the one sport that knows its history while living it in the present as well. There's always been a connection, and you guys have never lost your vision. Right. Exactly. It, right. Is that difficult to live that way? Because so many times, you know, we forget about NFL stars and NBA stars, but not the world of professional wrestling. Well, we're still out there a lot, and we're, we're always doing autographs here, there, everywhere. We go to Europe and sign autographs. I mean, we stay relevant, and, uh, you know, and the WWE Network keeps us relevant. They can, or even Google, <laughs> that you can bring up patches of us all the time, you know, so it keeps us out there. We're talk- and I enjoy it. I enjoy being on the road still. And being on the road, that's 350 days, and that's the reason why they they call it this, because you guys had to live that lifestyle. Exactly, and and if you go back to the 70s, we didn't get get to ride in an airplane that much. We did a lot of long 
car rides. You know, we drive like down in your area. We go from Charlotte to Richmond, to Richmond to Norfolk, to Richmond to Charlottesville, and back down to Charleston, South Carolina, and you know, Savannah, Georgia. You name it. Well, plus you guys, you guys were never afraid to host a, an event inside a gymnasium or or some sort of shrine auditorium because I mean, you guys were. If you could put the ring up anywhere, you guys would fight. Yeah, and we draw a crowd, too. You know, it wasn't always about coliseums. Of course, we like the coliseums because you get more people in there. But, uh, yeah, we, we did it everywhere. National Guard, armies, you name it. What was it like for you, though, to go from those smaller arenas to the big ones? Because, I mean, you guys made it so intimate and so personal in the smaller gyms. But yet when you get into that big one, does is, is it about, okay, i got to live in this moment inside this ring? A lot of guys didn't like wrestling in, in front of small crowds. It didn't bother me because I just paid attention to what was going on in the ring. But I, I enjoyed, you know, being in Charlotte Coliseum more than I did being in Columbia, South Carolina Auditorium. Yeah. Oh, you. I mean, you would you would come to Charlotte, dude, and you, you would get us so riled up we'd get in fights up there in the stands. I was escorted out twice because of matches that you were in. And back in the old days, we even wrestled in the Charlotte Park Center. Remember that <laughs> yes, little? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> You know, in in the world of baseball, we always say that we, I wish I could have pitched against Ted Williams. Is there somebody in your own personal history that you wish you could have wrestled? Oh man! Well, you know what? I wrestled everybody. I don't. That's awesome. Maybe some some of the new guys like uh, The Rock or something. You know. Did, but, you know, in my generation, I wrestled everybody. <laughs> but you never showed fear when you would stand in that ring. That person could be two feet taller than you, and you look at them like, oh, nah, I got you. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I could be scared before the match, you know, nervous, not scared, but nervous. But once I got in the ring, something clicked in my head, and I turned into an animal. <laughs> I had no fear. I'm serious. No fear. I didn't care who it was, Andre the Giant or some midget. <laughs> was was there ever a moment where you looked at you, you know, at, at the wrestling moment and thought, "Well, I, I am living my dream." Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, a lot of times, but you know, it would be after the matches were over, and I'd come back and and I'd have this this euphoric, I uh, just a great feeling and I had a great match and yeah I would say to myself this is it there can't be a happier moment for me we're talking about 350 days which is a Fathom event which is going to be in theaters tomorrow night and and listeners need to understand that Fathom event means that they've got to check the local theaters to find out who plays the Fathom and and for you guys to be doing this you're opening up the door to continue the, the generations moving forward with professional wrestling exactly this, they're going to love this, you know, the, especially, you know, I do a lot of comic cons and, and, and wrestling legend events and, and autographs and stuff. And I talk to a lot of people and they love old school wrestling. So you need to get out and watch this. Don't you don't you think that professional wrestling is the one thing that connects every generation? I could be sitting here with my grandfather talking about wrestling and talking to some little punk kid that's 12 years old and we would all know what's going on. Yeah, it does. It connects all the generations. Exactly right. Is is it, sports are like that? All sports are really like that. Yeah, but, but with professional wrestling, I mean, it's like it, to me when I was a kid, it was it all started in those darn wrestling magazines, and we would sit there and just know that we were in that moment. And then when we got to see you live, it was almost like you you were a national hero to us. 
Yeah, those wrestling magazines were great, weren't they? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> did, what, did, and when you, yeah, go ahead. And I was just going to say, because, I mean, it, it was never post shots. It was you guys sitting there getting your butts kicked in the ring or you kicking somebody else's butt. Yeah, and bloody, bloody <laughs> covers and stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, speaking of moves, why is it when I would try to put the hammer on somebody, I'd always rack my funny bone? Did you ever do you know you know use that elbow on somebody and it and it went wrong? Uh, well, actually, everybody. I was a stiff wrestler. I hurt everybody that I wrestled. And uh, ask Rick Flair, I broke his nose. Well, you know, you drop the elbow, and it's gravity. You know, and you, you can't stop from going down because gravity's going to pull it. And um, and the figure four leg lock, yep. you know, it was a tight hold, and it was a real hold, it, legitimate hold. Absolutely, and it's one of those holds that, you know, teenage boys, you know, grow up doing, and then all of a sudden they, they walk around going, my God, this stuff is real. It, it's very painful. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and what, was it dangerous to the point to where it was like, you know, I, I, I'm going to put it on you, but, but you're going you're gonna to walk differently after, the, after you've been in the ring with me? Yeah. Exactly, and if I see a guy with real fat legs, I go, "Oh my, oh my God, he's, he's going to get hurt," and it's because it's going to hurt me to try to get on, him, get it on him, you know. But if he had skinny legs, I actually put bigger fours on skinny guys, and they got out of it. <laughs> they wormed their way right out of it. <laughs> Pro wrestling has always been about showmanship, sportsmanship, as well as salesmanship. To be able to conquer all three like you have, it, it, it's been a journey, hasn't it? Yes, it has. But, you know, life is like that, you know, and, and uh, salesmanship, athleticism, you know, all that wrapped into one. Uh, yeah, it's a good life teacher. And, and you've never been afraid or even uh, better than the fan. I mean, you've always reached out to them and supported them just as much as we've, we have supported you. Exactly. And, you know, they, they like to keep us away from the fans back in the old days, you know. But uh, now I'm out there meeting them all, and, and, and they're all great. You know, they're, 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 they're fantastic. Who, who was your hero champion? Was it a Nick Botwinkle? Was it a Harley Race? Who, who was the one that, that you said, that's, that's the guy right there? Johnny Valentine. Yes, sir. You're absolutely. Yep. And he was big in the Mid Atlantic, right there. Wow. And he was big in New York and and everywhere. See, and that's when professional wrestling was either late night, Saturday night, or was an early Sunday morning. And no matter what, nothing else could be watched except for the families around that darn TV. That's right. You're right. Do Do you miss those days of simplicity, or do you like the idea that we, you know, that we we've got to really bring in the thunder when there's a performance? Well, you know, I look back, you know, I, I miss the territory days. I miss uh, Saturday morning wrestling or whatever, and I don't really like the three-hour Monday Night Raws too long. Yep. Uh, I miss I miss those days. Yes, I do. But, I mean, I, I enjoy how far wrestling has, has moved forward, too. Hey, if you would like to find out more about Greg, visit GregTheHammerValentine.com.